RadioInfluence.com. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person so you can become your genuine, authentic best self. He has guided the careers of some of the best pro athletes from 10 different sports and business executives from 50 industries. He's coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show on Radio Influence. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin, my co-producer and co-host today, Seth Hurd. Hey, Seth. Hello. Uh, We are talking about loyalty today, and uh, all-star John Buck's going to be joining us here in just a little bit, which is going to be a lot of fun for you, I I think. Let's talk about who's in the zone this week before we get into that. And then after that, by the way, we're going to go ahead and take uh, a couple of those questions that you can send in uh, at askjim at jimfannin.com, correct? That's where that's coming in at. It, it is. Uh, well, first of all, let me, before I get into in the zone, let me just talk a little bit about loyalty. You know, loyalty, loyalty is in the news today, uh, this week, and we'll, we're going to discuss that in a few seconds. But what, what is loyalty? And who are you loyal to? Uh, I had a dog named Spot growing up in Ashland, Kentucky, and I remember my buddies when I was like 11, 11, 12 years old. We go to the movie theater, and my dog sits uh, in front of the movie theater. We get our tickets. We go in. A couple hours later, we come out, and my dog, Spot, is in the exact same space. And I asked the ticket taker at that time, I said, did my dog leave? I thought maybe he left and then came, came back, back when he knew, knew the movie was <laughs> over. He said, your dog never, never moved. And I thought, wow, that, that is loyalty. Uh, so if you have a pet, you know what loyalty really is. And it's being true to yourself, uh, true to your family. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you, you can outgrow things. You can outgrow a city. Uh, I needed to leave Ashland, Kentucky to reach my full potential. I'm still loyal to Ashland. I talk uh-huh. about it quite quite often. Were you and, shocked when you moved somewhere else and found out you couldn't just leave your dog on the sidewalk and you went to a movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, yeah, it does work like that. I don't that. think that works other places. It doesn't work in other places. Uh, so, you know, lo- loyalty is, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I've been concerned about uh, in America, loyalty with families. and. And I, and I see disloyalty uh, daily. I mean, I, I have athletes call me and go, I just found out I got traded by, by Twitter. You know, where's the loyalty there? Yeah, that's strange, isn't it? And that happens often in the sports world right now where somebody isn't having that difficult conversation to say, you know, your time with this organization is done and uh, or they're not having it fast enough. And then all of a sudden you put somebody who was basically in your care, uh, you know, a part of your organization when you were a manager. Uh, into uh, a pretty difficult situation of saying, oh, whoa, that was on the bottom ticker of the news station, and now I know that way. Well, I, I, I had a situation where there was an athlete, a freshman, touted uh, as uh, you know, the quarterback, NFL can't miss, uh, has a couple of injuries, 
really loyal to the team, leads his team, and all of a sudden now he's a senior, and guess what happens? As a senior, they bring in this hotshot new quarterback, and all of a sudden uh, he's on the bench, and of course he was calling me saying, where's the loyalty of my team? You know, loyalty is faced with all kinds of challenges. People outgrow relationships. People do outgrow teams. Uh, but do you sacrifice winning in, in order to be loyal? I mean, I guess that's the question. Do you lose money in your business uh, while you're staying loyal to employees that haven't grown with the company? I've seen that. And um, and how, how did you help people like that work through a situation like that where you're losing money and trying to stay loyal and not sure if it's the right thing? Uh, I mean, that, that, to me, that's a tough one. Well, I, I think loyalty erodes when one of two or more parties, they're not honest and forthright with themselves. Uh, you got to be honest about eroding skills or changing philosophies. You got to be honest about an altered vision or an altered goal and what you're doing. And I think we need to be more transparent. Pro sports, uh, especially baseball and NBA, NFL, those are monopolies. So, you know, they can monopolize really what's going on. So is there really loyalty? You know, I was loyal to the Cincinnati Reds growing up, and they didn't trade anybody. And today, you know, one year later, I don't even know who's on the team that I like. You know, they've traded everybody. Um, So speaking of... uh, loyalty with teams uh what's up with Kyrie Irving uh, of the Cle- Cleveland Cavaliers he wants to be traded where's his loyalty where's the team's loyalty to him uh i know there's a lot of teams around the league that are in the zone hoping they can get Kyrie <laughs> Irving the clippers uh the denver nuggets who lost a superstar to the celtics uh, boy, they would love to have Kyrie Irving. Uh, San Antonio would love to have Kyrie Irving. But it's really interesting that a team that was built to win, been in the playoffs so many times, won a world championship, and all of a sudden, where's the loyalty? It, it's pretty amazing uh, what happens with a team. Yeah, he, he, um, you know, to be a part of something like, um, you know, like Kyrie was able to be part of where – I mean, how had it been close to a century since Cleveland, which has been a pretty economically depressed area, won a championship. And, you know, for them to bring home that trophy means so much to those people. And just like a little over a year after that being, you know, the relationship is broken down enough that one party's like, I'm out. Um, you know, something well, went wrong. Well, Cleveland, you know, first of all, LeBron James broke loyalty with Cleveland, bailed and, and you know, has that famous, uh, infamous press conference where he goes to Miami but he comes back to be loyal to his roots again uh, to lead them to a world championship. I, I see this in sports all the time about loyalty. Um, I have a player last night call me and said, I just got traded. I, I didn't know about it. He just learned out about it through a text, not a, not a tweet. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's owners being loyal to the bottom line, to their share, shareholders. Uh, that's really uh, where loyalty is right now. I'm not sure how you could do it worse than a text message and let somebody know they're traded, except for like put up a piece of paper on their locker that says pack. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that's about a, as the only way you could make that situation worse. For 40 worse. years, that's pretty much how it's done. It's really? done pretty brutal, pretty swift. And the next thing you know, you're on a plane going somewhere else and uh, you call your wife and go, honey, uh, pack, uh, pack the bags uh, 
uh, we're now in uh, Arizona, <laughs> you know, and uh, it happens. I think the loyalty factor, though, is really being loyal to your own values, your own principles, and being loyal to yourself. Now, speaking of being loyal to your own convictions and to yourself, I got to talk about Jordan Spieth. I mean, this guy had a major collapse in 2016, chokes at the Masters. Now he's this year the British Open champion, had disaster. He's leading by three shots uh, at the British Open. And on the 13th hole, he's loyal to his caddy and what his caddy believed he should do. That was a turning point of him winning the Claret Jug this year, just a few days ago. Uh, He turned to his caddy, and he had a sense of how many yards he was away from the hole. Uh, He was in a very dangerous position. He'd blown a three-shot lead, and all of a sudden, he's loyalty to his caddy. His caddy tells him what to do. He does it. Which he he said, you know, normally I don't do that. I make my own decisions. Yeah. But he was loyal to his caddy's decision. He went with it. Uh, has a bogey, which is the greatest bogey maybe of his life. A double, triple bogey, which he was ready to have. It would have ended uh, this year's British Open. But the guy not only bogeys the hole by being loyal to his caddy, he goes on a tear, birdie, eagle, birdie, birdie, and the next thing you know, uh, he wins the Claret Jug and he wins the British Open. And uh, pretty impressive. Uh, congratulations, zone performer Jordan Spieth. Uh, you were definitely in the zone at the end of that round. And you were loyal to what your caddy thought. And you were loyal to your own convictions of who you were. Congratulations. What a great feat. Youngest, uh, besides Jack Nicholas, to... Uh, Win three majors before the age of 24. Very, very impressive. And, you know, when I, I've heard people say that, like, oh, golf isn't, um, you know, golf isn't that hard. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, they, those people haven't played golf. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. And, you know, anytime you're in a situation where you've got a pretty good amount of time for doubt to creep in, um, and, and, you know, for people who know how to get in the zone, they can get out of that. But you, that's where, you know, I, I use this, this phrase every episode pretty much, but that's where it becomes a metaphor for life. It's like, you know, um, you don't have to play golf to get why it's so admirable and something that you would want to, you know, be able to copy using the same tools that, that you get down and that you don't just kind of collapse into a puddle. Um, well, and- he had, you know, Spieth had adversity. It introduced him to himself. He did admit that there was a small doubt uh, based on uh, his collapse at the Masters, he did think about it during the round, which is pretty amazing, something I would not want any athlete I coached to do. That thought went away, and uh, that decision on the 13th hole on the last day uh, of going with what his caddy believed, being loyal to their partnership, and loyal to his own convictions of who, who he is, uh, his championship play really came to the forefront. He deserved that victory. And I'm excited because I, I really want him to uh, uh, do well at the PGA Championship in a couple of weeks. We'll see if he can win his fourth uh, leg of the Grand Slam. 
that would be pretty amazing. We, may, such we may be watching history here. Uh, we might be watching history. He's definitely a zone performer, definitely a champion. Going to go ahead and get into the interview now with uh, MLB All-Star John Buck that uh, was on the phone with Jim during uh, the highs and the lows uh, for coaching during his very, very cool career. And then talk about uh, what how he's giving back now in his own community in Utah. And then my favorite part, um, we've got two of your questions that are going to be answered. So make sure you stick around for the Ask Jim section after the interview. We've been talking about loyalty, and uh, speaking of loyalty, uh, one of my uh, good friends, uh, client uh, with Major League Baseball, the former all-star, uh, father, a businessman, John Buck. John, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show, and meet my uh, co-host today and producer, Seth Hurd. Hello. Seth, how are you, my man? Good. So I understand that you two, somebody shoved a cell phone like into your car. And that's how you yeah. are in Jim. Uh, do, we, do, we, do I go into the full story here, Jim? Yeah, I think um, you do. It, it was a, a, a very strange day. <laughs> Welcome to this, my this life. Is in so I'm in Miami. I'm uh, taking my kids to this Jewish elementary school that we have our kids in. And I don't, I don't have never seen this guy before at this elementary school. I never saw him afterward. Me and Jim have kind of put together who we think it is, but, you know, it's, that's so granular. Who really cares? Um, this guy just came up to me in this nice Mercedes, like, hey, John, I'm running across the parking lot. I got somebody you need to talk to. He hands me the phone. He's like, I'm dialing him right now. I'm like, uh, who are you? He's like, here, just talk to this guy. And it's Jim on the other line. I was like, I don't know who you are. This guy shoved a cell phone in my face. Apparently, I'm supposed to talk to you. And Jim's like, all right, well, call me later when you're not there. Okay. So I called a little bit later, and uh, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> Jim Jim sunk his zone talent into me and uh, never looked back, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, that was a seeming uh, coincidental uh, meeting. And, uh, uh, yeah, I was on the phone with this guy for about 10 minutes or something. and uh, that's when he recognized you, obviously from the Marlins. And next thing I you know, I'm talking to you uh, uh, from you're in a parking lot, and I'm, I don't know where I'm out on the road somewhere. So uh, it was a very strange meeting. And I thought you had heard about my, my name from a trainer or something or, or a CD or something, but uh, it, it was well, definitely- I, I, I knew who he was because. Growing up, my mom and my uncle were real into flow, zone, uh, the secret. I was into this stuff already because my mom had implanted this stuff to me. But it was very motivational speaking, those whole type of things. And uh, Jim was that, I don't know, you kind of pieced it all together for something that it was like a system that I could apply directly what was going on in my sport, in my life, like right away. And I needed that. I needed that structure. And so that's, that was the difference maker for me, to, you know, working with Jim, it, why it clicked, you know. And also, he never talks about it, but the clientele, it's kind of like, all right, who's this guy? And the, per, you know, first person or two you run into, you talk to or like the likes of people like uh, Frank Thomas, who I have posters on my wall of why I want to be like, you tend to like, all right, What's this weirdo about? Like, well, I'm going to figure him out a little bit. So <laughs> I think it was, 
uh, an investigation of each other to, but how do I make the best John? And he just had that system that I felt, you know, a lot of things that he talks about out with me personally was I'm more than baseball players. Some of the things I was dealing with were not necessarily physical things or more mental things. And he had that system that tightened that up so I could be more than just a baseball player. Cause that's where my life plan was airing. I was doing great in baseball, but I wasn't managing the other stuff well. And, and, and when I was able to manage it well, it, my baseball got better, uh, kind of a nutshell. So that was, those were the things that really stuck for Jim that made it so I got back to baseball that I loved and performed good and had a knowledge of why was I successful before? Why did I, what did I do just so naively and just, I don't know why I did it, but I was so narrow focused, but now he gave me a system to rekindle that, what I did well before naively, if that makes sense. Well, I, if my memory serves me right, John, uh, in that off season, uh, you took your family, uh, a large family, uh, to Hawaii yeah. and put everybody through the score system, talking about loyalty, uh, some things that you learned, and now you want to share it with your family. And uh, uh, I think you had told me that, uh, you know, those gatherings were kind of crazy and, uh, you know, in the past, uh, but it was a, a pretty peaceful, purposeful, calm uh, family vacation. I think I- – 100%. I think if you ask our family in general, not just me being selfish or why I did it originally, right, is I needed clarity to get all that to make me feel like I had life balance so that that upcoming season, some of the things that Brooke and I were getting ready to jump in with our kids, our family, the new city, you know, getting traded, being in Miami, like it was a lot. And to be able to take that vacation and have family input on that stuff, was good for me, but it was being balanced with family to be able to get, you know, get that. And Jim helped me kind of do a lot of that, which made me feel happier and Brooke and I happier as we went through this crazy life of baseball because it's not a normal style whatsoever. And uh, we were able to make our abnormal our normal and make it work to where Brooke and I and the boys strive the best way we could. Well, I, I think part of the, John, you know, part part of this goes to your loyalty to your family, to your kids, to your wife. Uh, you know, I, I I do remember the first day that we did talk. I I did make that statement. You're more than a baseball player, and uh, and obviously uh, that struck a chord with you. However, I do remember in April of the next year, you did hit 12 home runs in one month. Oh, oh, yeah. Let's not forget why I originally started the SCORE program is because in 2010, doing real good, dropping bombs, and then all of a sudden, something happened. It was like it went away. I was trying to find my swing. I was trying to find that zone, that zone performance. I worked with some other people that I was trying to find this, but just it was always just misfire where Jim had a system that worked for me that I could apply with what I was doing. It helped me with my catcher's reports. It helped me hit better. It helped me get into this state of flow or whatever your terminology you want to do. His system basically did that for me. And, well, and, and it was and, the and best you, way to structure 
And John, coming back, coming back to uh, loyalty, uh, you, you left baseball. You left uh, money on the table, uh, years of productivity yeah. on the table. And I remember the day that you made this decision. Uh, I, I'm going to retire. Uh, no one forced you to retire. It was basically out of your loyalty that you're more than a baseball player and you got uh, twin boys now, you know, you got three kids now and uh, it was your loyalty really to your family is why you left uh, professional baseball. There's no doubt in my mind you could have played another uh, two or three, four years. Uh, and I think, uh, and still think, uh, you could be uh, uh, either a general manager or a manager uh, of a major league baseball team, but, uh, you uh, decided to go to back to God's country in Utah and um, raise your awesome family. How, how was that transition uh, of loyalty for you? How was um, that, tra- how was that I transition? I, I think pretty natural. And, and I think because the things that I'm sharing to you, like baseball-wise, that's how I can do it. It didn't change because who I was was more of a lifestyle. And I knew who I was was not going to be good if I kept going down that road that isn't me. My family is my family. And, and that loyalty to staying who I was and what I believed in was the better me at that point in life. If, if I would have learned this, I wish I would have learned some of this stuff when I was in Kansas City and starting to, you know, I learned a little bit with Buddy Bell and, and Jason LaRue really touched on that but it wasn't you know it wasn't pieced together like it was just because obviously you know uh, the game of failure you're going to learn a lot on the way uh and by the time i ran into you if i could have those tools back then oh look out i I think i could have been a multiple all-star without a shadow of a doubt and i think i started to learn those tools and keys when i went into new york um, found, you know, teams started seeing my value on working with young pitchers and young uh, catchers. Ionetta, Hank Conger, that, you know, those are the reasons I got those jobs at the end. And that, ex- they felt good. So I said, I'm doing this with you. You know, I'm, I'm doing what I love with youth and who knows where it's going to take me. So I felt like it was time to uh, step away from baseball because there's some things at home that, Needed my uh, loyal attention as I get choked up. <laughs> well, you've not only been loyal to your family, but the rumor has it you've been loyal to your own body, uh, which I, I, I know a lot of people are not loyal to their own body, their own self. Uh, you got in the best shape of your life after your baseball career. I, how crazy is that? <laughs> I think what, how we fell into this, we, you know, I came retired, and Brooke, as you know very well, your wife uh, said it's my your turn. Wife. Yeah, Brooke, my wife. Let's, it's my turn to pick an athletic event. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And she's into mountain running and stuff. I'm like, oh, I wonder what this could be. She's like, I want to have the best physique we could ever. I want to be a fitness model. I was like, all right, let's put it on the vision board. Boy, was that a mistake. Because, it, <laughs> you know, if I go into zone performance on what I want to do, if you're going to put me in the field of doing this, I think I always thought Brooke would never – if you know my wife, she's not going to get on stage. 
I thought there's no way she's going to get up there and shake her fine ass in front of all those people. That's not my wife's personality. But mind you, this was the girl that was throwing up in the trash can before she went on stage. Like if the girl's going to be that dedicated, I'm going to do the same. And so diet and the, and the strict regimen, what it takes to be a physique model, it's, was the hardest thing I've ever done. And we did that right as we came out of baseball. And so that was something that her and I did together. And I learned so much about my body, uh, nutrition, um, actually so much to like what's in our water. What am I putting in this machine? And again, if I would have known some of this stuff when I played, I think I could have played even more healthy mind, body and soul healthy. So, you know, it's, it's, kind of all goes back to being loyal to your body and the commitment of the making the better you on every aspect, every arena of your life and being loyal to yourself to do that. Well, speaking of loyalty, uh, John, uh, I am aware of the next chapter in your life uh, in Utah because you're being loyal to your community and uh, tell me a little bit of what's going on. What, what is the next chapter for John Buck in terms of community loyalty? Well, I've uh, done some stuff. I think, I think you know, on MLB Challenge stuff. I did some stuff with the Junior Bees for the, the Bees program. Uh, the Bees have reached out and, and really the Larry H. Miller group doing now, unbelievable things. This is the minor league team? Yes. This minor league team in Salt Lake City. This is the team I grew up watching. Funny enough, the Troy Hawkins, who was later a teammate, remember watching that dude throw the pill and being like, I'm going to play on this field someday, maybe with that guy. And later that happened. And I talk with LaTroy all the time, like, like, you know, I watched your old butt pitching. You were old then. You may have been 40 when I was watching you. Somehow you're 50 and throwing. He may have been 40 when he played. (laughs) Oh, dude. And and tell you what, and to be able to play with him in New York and 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 call a game with him, that's that's awesome. And I remember that very vividly in the Bees Stadium. So I had a few experiences through the Bees, you know, Bees program and some of the stuff with uh, Junior Jazz that the mill company's done. And I want to just, I'm here. If I have the platform to help them out, why not? And the only beneficiary are going to be kids in Utah and, and immediately my kids. Cause I know it's the best way to, to go about teaching baseball with the, what they have planned. And I want to be a part of that. So one of, one of the plans then is to teach the score system uh, on how to attract the zone and not just in sports, but in academics and relationships with your friends and, and that's your quest right now for the youth of uh, Utah and maybe the nation. This is something that uh, I know you have a lot of passion about and loyalty for your own community, but you, you'd like to even take it further. Oh, you, you know me. If anybody knows me, and, and, and it's not something I brag about because this is a world of sports, if, if one Advil works, maybe four will work better. <laughs> so I always went over the top. And, and I don't intend to stop doing that now that I'm so-called retired. I believe without a shadow of a doubt this is the right way to, our, to, to use sports, our passions, to better us as people, better us as athletes, and get us 
knowing how to how to execute our goals and dreams. That like we're we're given these goals and dreams, and great things come out of them for a reason. Let's get better at sharpening, and without a doubt, emphatically, I can say the Zone program does that without a doubt. So there's it's a no brainer. If I if if I want to do this for my community, there's nothing I'm going to bang a harder drummer on drum on it than this program of Jim Pampers. No doubt. John, I want you to go back from before you'd ever heard any of this stuff, right? Because, um, you know, as I've, I've stepped in to help, um, help Jim take this thing out to more people, one of the things that I've thought about is um, we do a lot of teaching subjects. We don't do a lot of teaching success. So at no point in any high schooler's, you know, schedule does it say, you know, 830 biology, 1030 algebra, and in between there you have an hour on mental clarity. And yet everybody needs it, right? Um, so I'm curious as to when you were climbing up the ladder um, and, you know, and I love sports so much because they're a metaphor for what everybody goes through. You don't have to love baseball to understand the metaphor of how it can relate to your life, right? Um, Correct. When you, were, when you were in those hitting slumps when you were 16, 17, 22 years old before you heard about any of this stuff, um, what did you and your teammates kind of how did you guys think about overcoming challenges? Um, you know, verse, and then how does that compare to where I think, after you met Jim? I think, and I'll take it back even younger, just to show you how I operated very naively. I didn't, I don't think I let the world enter my head of what's going on around me. Meaning I was so narrow focused, like I said, naively on where I wanted to go because in my mind, in my world, nothing told me it wasn't reality. I had an uncle playing for Nebraska who was up for Heisman Trophy Award winner with Irving Fryer at the time at Nebraska. I, and he's coming to have Christmas with me, giving me these drills, giving me these mental, like, here, take, listen to this tape. We're doing ballet in Nebraska. Every, uh, I'm like, I ate that stuff. Oh, man. When he came and brought me that after, like, on holidays, I was like, ooh, give me more. So – because in my mind, I was like, I'm going to either play professional football or baseball. I don't know. That was my decision. Like, that's seriously where other people are like, am I going to go be a lawyer? Or I, without a doubt, I'm going to do this. And it was, I remember having a conversation, I think 13 years old, Dirk McDermott. I used to call him da -na 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 because, the, you know, the ESPN, you know, da -na 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 -na. that was his nickname. Da -na 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 because he would ramble off stats and I'm like, shut Ah, who cares about stats, right? <laughs> we started talking about Miami being this call, the best college in baseball to go to. I'm like, and I remember it's the first time I was like, you can go to school for baseball. I remind you, I'm 13 years old. Maybe this is what happens when you got a, a hippie dad who's a doctor and athletes that just roam in and out of your, you just, I'd never put it together, right? And I just thought, well, why do I want to go there when I could just be professional? Why can't I just skip over school? And, it, and this was like at 13. And I was like, why do I want, if I want to be this, why don't I just go play it? And it didn't seem weird at the time, but I think because it's innocent 13-year-old thoughts. Like, well, I just don't want to go to school. <laughs> but, but it was, I remember having that thought and saying, all right, well, if I'm going to do that, I better be smart so I can be smart enough to skip college. Rather than thinking college is giving me knowledge. Does that make sense? Like it was it a weird way of thinking, but I also had a dad who was a doctor who said, you don't need to go to school to be smart. Just go be smart. You know, and I had a uh, uncle who 
started megahertz, if you've ever heard of megahertz. Um, I was dyslexic, and his daughter would come and teach me how to read. I went up to you, and you put those different sheets of paper. So things with the brain came. It was hard for me to do, but once I got it, I learned where I could learn patterns of what I threw people, and I can recall on that mm -hmm. stuff. And it all, like, I needed to be smart in other ways because the reading, it, like, letters were getting turned around on me in, in the dyslexic world. It was hard, you know, but I had to find a way to adapt, and, and I had to work really hard at that. And, and they taught me, you don't need to think within the box. You were made to think outside the box. Do it. and Do it well. Boy, this and, is, uh, and this I, is your, John, this is your loyalty to a, to a dream. and. I know we've all had dreams, and uh, there, boy, when we have some hardship, it's easy to put your dreams down and not be loyal to those dreams. And um, would you say that you stayed loyal to that? Yeah, because I think at, at, at the core, it's what really made me happy is doing these things and actually made me the better me and being loyal to what I really want. And what I really want is to be the best athlete, take care of the, this machine the best way I know how and take care of my family the best way I know how the best way I think is the right way to raise my kid. It goes on and on to be the best way. And I kind of did it naively just following the people I wanted to be like, but that day in that parking lot, it gave me a tool like a, like this is how, this is the best way you do it. And I have my own things that I throw in there that are better habits for me, but what gave me structure to it, without a doubt, was the score system. It was something I could piece together who I am in a system that made the best me. And the loyalty to the best me was, was the key to that. It's yeah, who I, think, I really wanted to be. I, I, think, I think everyone listening, we all have dreams. We had dreams as a kid. Uh, but being loyal to your values, your principles, and your dreams, uh, I think a lot of people have conflict with that. And loyalty to those things will definitely pull you through. And you can look back on your career and go, you know, I was loyal. I, uh, even in my early career, I didn't have all the tools, didn't have all the answers. But the thing that you were loyal to, I'm going to keep searching for those answers. And I've always realized my mentor told me, when you're ready to learn, a teacher will appear. My mentor, Professor R.W. Ross, told me that when I was about 12, when you're ready to learn, uh, the information will show up. And uh, it was very fortuitous for you and I to meet, because uh, it's been a blessing in my life to even know you, uh, because I'm, I'm proud of what you've done. And... Uh, leaving millions on the table, leaving uh, potential uh, of still being a great baseball player, to leave that on the table, to have loyalty to your family, to your children, to your wife, and, and then your body, and, and now to have loyalty to your own community to pass this forward. Uh, well, it's really a hallmark of who you are, John, and uh, I, I don't say that lightly. I, I, I really mean that. I I applaud your loyalty. Well, well, thank you. It's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the blame. I, I will take the blame. Yeah, yeah. Can I zoom in on one more yeah. moment? As, you know, as we kind of 
we gather the the really good stuff from the story that we can apply to our lives, right? So, um, John, in episode two, I talked about. And I'm not I'm not going to embarrass this uh, former player because um, you know you, you your past shouldn't have to follow you around all the time. But I just remembering and asking Jim about a, a player who would have played against you, um, who would sometimes curse so loudly that the uh, one he was I believe he was actually fined by the FCC because you can't swear on broadcast television. You know certain words. And yeah. the mics in the yeah. backstop, he would scream so loud when he, when he struck out, the mics in the backstop would, uh, like, pick that up, right? Um, and, and yeah. Jim, you know, you know, that's something you learn when you're six years old and you never let go of. If I'm meaner to myself, then my people around me won't be mean to me. You get out of this hitting slump. Um, you step fully into the score system. You're in the zone, right? Um, yeah. At different points during your career, after you learned this stuff and you were really hitting on all cylinders, um, did you ever have, you know, other people that were associated with your playing career that you maybe just kind of had to take a step away from because, um, because it was just difficult for, I mean, like, you know, like, Oh, why are you so positive yeah. all the time? You know, I like to swear and get fined yeah. by the FCC when I strike out. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's when you, when someone else sees that swearing as a negative, it's because they, they get offended by swearing. Like that person that's cussing, that's those words don't mean that much to that particular person. Does that make sense? That's why he channels those angers. But I think that stuff occurs when you, when your habits and thoughts are of those bad emotions, you're constantly doing that and you do it to the utmost. Those come out in tough situations, i.e. punching out with bases loaded. Uh, you know, team needs you just to put the ball in play one time and you punch out guess what? Grandma's yelled at me for dropping my last name and screwing up the first letter a couple times, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and being caught on TV. Grandma hears you. But I think if, if, when you evaluate your situation, when I click to me, when I can post evaluate my performance and say, all right, I'm exploding at the end. I'm not in the zone to where, why did that guy get me out to be so aware of my thoughts? As soon as I strike out, I know, and I'm, already fixing how that guy, how Verlander and Bonderman and uh, Lester are not going to punch me out on that pitch again. Immediately. To where well, all of a sudden I, I can pick the other things up on. I, I think you're, uh, we're talking about loyalty to a team because uh, you, right. know, you, you knew that you were an integral part of something greater than yourself. And, and I saw that when you were with the Mets. The zone is contagious, and how you respond in adversity, uh, that is also contagious. And by you being loyal to the team, uh, you're helping manage uh, pitchers on, on game day, obviously. Uh, you're calling the game. Uh, you're the center of attention. Uh, you had that loyalty, and it, it was contagious with the Mets. And, and I think you say the Mets, but I think what the behind closed door where things really happen, when things aren't going well, is where you build the most. And I think I was super lucky, which we both kind of put this together. Joey Cora is a zoniac. Joey is. Cora was there when I, when I was in Miami struggling, right? In every sense of the word, after the big contract, all the things that, you know, trying to do too much, all, the, all those cliche things that happen to an athlete after a good year. And him seeing me hold myself accountable in other situations and him knowing the things that I was learning from you, like it was a very awesome 
spot to be while I was struggling, if that makes sense. It's the, it was the greatest struggling in my life, if I can say that. It was the most fruitful struggling that I've ever had in baseball. Because then wow. when I left Miami, that's where it showed up in New York. It was, that it, it was like, now things are going good and I'm doing it. Like, it was almost easy. Yeah, Joey Cora, uh, Joey Cora, uh, along with you, uh, two of my favorite clients, and he's definitely a, uh, it was a zoniac and still is a zoniac. Uh, I I think the the key here is adversity, John. Introduce just that, just that, just that. Adversity introduces you to yourself. You there? Sorry. Yep. No, I was saying I, uh, just to paint paint the scene. I just I pulled over on the side of the road in the canyon. A police officer just pulled up and was like, "You got you all right?" I'm like, "Just being a Utah redneck pulled over doing his own show." Just and he kind of just looked at me puzzled and says, <laughs> "Okay, thanks for pulling over." <laughs> so that that was the conversation I just had. Sorry, I had to step out of the office for a minute. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you're in God's country, so you're you're definitely in the zone. No, I was talking about how adversity introduces you to yourself, and you did have adverse times in Miami. It was fortuitous uh, to have those discussions with uh, Cora. Uh, it was not coincidental that you and I met, though it was a very bizarre. Uh, coincidence but uh in reality uh it wasn't coincidence and um this this whole show is about loyalty and john i'm excited for the next chapter in your life of what you're doing with the the youth of utah you're taking everything that you've learned you're applying it to make utah a better place not just for your kids but every kid uh in utah and um it's an exciting time, isn't it? It is. And it's, it's, because again, I'm, I'm getting the opportunity to trace a dream that I believe in. And like you said, the theme of the day that I know without a doubt I can be loyal in because it's a passion. It's not something that I need to do. It's something that I have to do because it comes from, I, I, I need to do it because I know that it's going to make my kids better, my community better. And the people that, help me set me up to be successful, I can pay it forward because they're still teaching in my community. They're still coaching in my community. I can help them. I need to do it. Well, John, you got to make uh, one promise. You got to come back. Okay. In fact, I'm going to have you back as my co-host on a few shows, and uh, we'll continue this uh, discussion on not only being in the zone, but how to help other people get in the zone and everything that they do. I really appreciate your time today and uh, go have a zone day. I know you will. We will. There's a, there's a couple, couple bogeys for me and my boys. I'm sure they'll par out on a lot more holes than me, but that's why we feed them the zone program early on in the Buck family. Yep, so, <laughs> so you're, off, me, you're, 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 you're off to play golf in the zone with your kids and uh, you've already uh, been in the zone with the police officer already. What a zone day. <laughs> right? I'm getting a police a police escort to Mountain Dell. Oh, like I, I mean, that's only zone athletes get that type of treatment in God's oh, country. Only zone athletes. Thanks a lot, John. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. All right. My favorite part of what we do here um, 
the moment where you get access to the same coaching that um, all-stars in 10 sports have been able to uh, tap into um, some of the captains of industry of the United States and around the world uh, and some of the top people in Hollywood and entertainment as well. Um, now we've got one piece of audio here and then we've got one uh, person who just wrote in and said, you know, hey, because I'm in broadcasting, I don't really want to put my voice out there. So we're going to start with that one. Then we'll go to the the audio. So I'm just going to call this guy who, who asked me to clean this up a bit. We'll just call him Bob the Broadcaster. Okay. Bob uh, the Broadcaster. Bring it on, Bob. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when when Bob wrote me a letter and said, wrote us a letter and said, you know, hey, um, my co-host and I are killing it in our respective field. The the numbers look great. We have a great relationship with our audience. We're talking to hundreds of thousands of people. But I have this very hands-off boss uh, that kind of ignores us until something that he's working on goes wrong. And then he tends to particularly yell at my co-host. And that really is going to bring somebody out of the zone, right? And, you know, he says that, that what we do suffers. Um, well, now the company wants to bring him in and HR and uh, the human resources department and the boss want to know what he thinks about working there. Um, and he, <laughs> uh, he would love some coaching as far as how to move forward because somebody else is taking somebody on his team out of the zone um, and he doesn't know really how to navigate the situation. Well, I, I think in this situation, you need to go to a higher ground, a 30,000 foot level. What is the point of the show? What is the show trying to accomplish with the listeners? And what is the show trying to accomplish uh, monetarily? Once those visions and those dreams and those, those goals are really reinforced and put on the table, I think it's going to be very easy for all the parties to come to an agreement together on how to manifest that and continue that manifestation of the success of the show. And I would go there first. I'd put that on the table if I was going to have a meeting. Uh, I'd like to go over the vision, the goals of the show, the philosophy of the show, just to make sure we're all on the same page. I think that's going to put everybody in their own corner, their own place. And to defy that, once you establish that, well, that's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, because if you go in and just if you just yell at somebody about yelling at somebody else and they yell back um, and you don't accomplish anything that's going to that's going to move the, the mission and vision forward. All you do is you wind up with a log jam or an awkward relationship with your boss. Yeah. And, and when you go to a higher level uh, about the entire entity, and this could be for a family, what's our family vision, our family goal? This is for any business. Once you go to that, um, I think it's going to be easy to find out what each person needs to think. But there's no question, to continue that success, everybody must be in a zone state, a purposeful, calm mindset where everything clicks. Let's go ahead and go to question number two. Again, you can, uh, you can send us your uh, challenge that you would love Jim to help you work through. Ask Jim at jimfannin.com. That's F-A-N-N-I-N.com. You can also find it on the show notes of whatever podcast uh, platform you're listening with. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go over to Christina, who's, uh, who's um, gone through some significant health challenges that have affected uh, her ability to run a business. Hey there, this is Christina. Um, I've spent the last four years of my life managing uh, two autoimmune diseases. And <clears throat> these autoimmune diseases have been quite devastating to my, my life. Um, you're talking to a girl who's very independent, who finished her graduate degree in a year and a half, 
and uh, while working full time, and um, and then went on to become probably one of the youngest CFOs the state of Montana has seen. Um, so it's it's been really disrupting to say the least. And um, recently, though, I've decided to launch a, um, a blog, a lifestyle blog, as well as a consulting business. And I, I came around to this because after we had to close uh, the brewery that we had spent a year creating, and we were only open for six months um, because I had another relapse and I was unable to perform the physical demands that the brewery required of me, um, we went ahead and closed at the end of the year. And it was devastating. Um, so I've spent the last six months trying to figure out what can I do? You know, I had two doctors offer to fill out disability paperwork for me, and that was just not the road that I wanted to take. Um, so I've spent a lot of time soul searching, reading a lot of self-help books, trying to figure out exactly what direction was I going to go. And so uh, my husband, the entire time that I've been sick, he's encouraged me to start writing um, because I do a lot of research on the two diseases that I have. And I'm pretty knowledgeable about exactly what it is I have, what, what I need. I'm, I'm very in tune with my body. Uh, as soon as I start having a reaction, uh, I'm to a point now where I can pretty quickly narrow it down to pinpoint what caused it. Uh, these, this, uh, one of my autoimmune diseases, when it flares, it causes uh, seizures, uh, uncontrollable laughing episodes, uh, loss of muscle control and, and memory issues and so much more. So um, having a storefront business was no longer an option. So I was out here searching for trying to figure out what I was gonna, what I was gonna do next with my life. And I decided to start this blog and consulting business because there are two opportunities that are virtually uh, located. Um, it's not a storefront business. And so, therefore, I'm able to continue these two activities even when I'm having a relapse. But more importantly, when I'm doing well and I'm very productive, I can create products that will then work for me when I am sick. So within the next 30 days or so, uh, I've with my consulting business, which is going to be coming out soon, it's called The Legislative Approach. Uh, I'm going to be producing a course there that people will be able to take to understand uh, the legislative process and to get an insider's perspective on how to be effective under the dome. Okay, so we've got, a, um, we've got somebody that's gone through you know, um, serious illness, can't run a storefront business anymore, has to shift to digital how do you reset during a challenge like that where you know it's something that um you know has really come in and derailed a major goal and you got to start over i think again you need to go to 30,000 feet um realize that you're more than a businesswoman uh you're more than a consultant uh you're a soul having human experiences and I think when it comes to your personal wellness, I'm helping someone right now who is going through cancer treatments. And I, I've helped a lot of people uh, overcome cancer, myself included. You need to look at yourself as a well person, a healthy person. Your subconscious does not know the difference between fantasy and reality. When you do have an affliction, you do have a flare-up, it's easy to start thinking about the negatives. It's easy to think that I, I am sick, I'm not healthy. And your subconscious mind, which controls wellness, you know, it, it controls all your bodily functions. It controls your immune system uh, in fighting disease. It's putting in your mind the person that 
you want to be, but you must do it as if it's so, as it will be. So putting in your mind that I am well, I am vibrant, I am healthy, even when you're not, is the right step to take. Is that easy to do when you're not feeling well? Of course not. It's not. It's not. It's abnormal to start believing and talking like you're healthy when you're not. But I think abnormal uh, goals and visions require abnormal thinking. I I, I applaud um, the listener for dealing with this challenge. It's a major challenge. She did make a paradigm shift from a storefront to a business that she could operate easily over the internet uh, with the challenge that she has. But I, I think, you know, it's going through every arena of your life and visualizing what do you want. You must see it as if it's so. See your business thriving. See yourself healthy and well. That's an everyday thing. And um, I, I really, this inner dialogue, this inner movie that you play in your mind, uh, it needs to be one of wellness. It needs to be one of success. And uh, she has a lot to give. There's no question about it. Uh, she could even talk about how to overcome challenges because she's on the pathway to do that. But you got to see it as if it's so. See it as it will be. If you've got something that you would love to uh, run by Jim and tap into the same knowledge base that's helped um, some of the top performers in just about every area of American life, you can email askjim at jimfannon.com. Uh, and, you know, maybe pick up a little more. Uh, you know, we do have a little deeper into visualization this week. Ne- uh, next week, episode four, get even more into how the subconscious doesn't know the difference between fantasy and reality. Well, I, I want to talk uh, about that definitely next week. But I also want to talk about the Zone Cafe. Uh, right now, if you're listening, I want you to pull up to the drive up window. What do you need right now in your life? You can order only one meal. Do you need self-discipline, a commitment, and a willingness to stay with whatever the tasks are to reach your goals? Do you you need concentration to be able to narrow your focus? Maybe you're thinking about too many things. Do you need to only think about one? Do you need more optimism? Is that what you need? Is that the missing link? More confidence, a more positive self-esteem? Or do you need a big uh, hooping spoonful of relaxation? Just being calm, uh, breathing, getting your breathing down to six to eight breaths a minute? Or do you need a big shot of enjoyment to bring a little more passion uh, as you meet these challenges? So at the Zone Cafe, you're at the drive-up window. What are you ordering? Whatever it is, I want you to feast on it for the next few days until we talk again. Because I'm looking forward to help you be in the zone. I'm Jim Fannin. I'm Seth Hurd. We'll see you next time. Radio Influence brings you the absolute best in digital audio broadcasting. We've got something for everyone. Sports personalities like the fabulous sports babe, Rich Herrera, and former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy as they take you inside the dugout. We'll take you inside the world of MMA with the MMA Report with Jason Floyd, the MMA Insiders, and the Valor Hour with Tim Loy and Casey Oxidine. Or you could find yourself sitting ringside. 
with wrestling ring announcer David Penzer. TV law enforcement analyst and former police officer Vincent Hill breaks down this week's biggest crime stories and takes you beyond the badge. Chef Brian Duffy from TV's Bar Rescue shares his crazy life on the road with Duffified Live. And Scott Ledger will always make you think with some dangerous conversation. All of Radio Influence's shows can be found on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 